When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess. For elite athletes only. Right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. This is the Decibel Geek Podcast with Aaron Camaro and Chris Sinzak. All right, time once again to rock and roll with your favorite podcast. Oh yeah, the Decibel Geek Podcast. Coming back at you once again every single week we're here with you. I am Aaron Camaro, joined as always by... By... So, are you here? Are you not here? Where are you, Chris and Zach? I'm in two places at the same time. That's amazing. How do you do that? I've finally unlocked cloning technology. Nice. Yeah. So, you're the, are you the clone? or are you, Well, obviously, you're the clone. We'll leave it a mystery. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, but technically, where are, at this moment <laughs> that this is being released, yeah. where are you? I am probably in the Anaheim Convention Center at the NAMM show. Nice. Man, you're so lucky. I know. Don't think I don't know it. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. So if yeah, if you're hearing this in, in the release, I'm hopefully hobnobbing with people. But otherwise, uh, and getting videos and setting oh up future interviews and getting and, no sleep and getting no sleep. Yeah, yeah, no sleep, LA. I'm gonna be dead by the time I get home, probably. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna. I, I don't, and I'm honestly trying to figure out when am I going to sleep. They if found him in an alley, back on the Sunset Strip somewhere. Yeah, there's no. Yeah, I'll look like that chick on the first Guns N' Roses album that was banned. <laughs> yeah, uh, get raped by LA. Oh no. But no, it was. Uh, it, it's a, it's a crazy week. So, uh, but yeah, but at the same time. Uh, a very long and much anticipated episode this week. Yeah, man, this is going to be a lot of fun today. Yeah. You know, before you got here, I was watching my new favorite TV show. What's that? The new Celebrity Apprentice. Oh, I haven't seen any of that. Vince Neil is kicking ass. He's not. He, so he's not singing. He is singing. Oh, he's been doing okay. some singing. He's been doing some songwriting. He's <laughs> been doing some fundraising. He just earned like just. Big, big money for his charity, which well, is like good. a brain cancer fund kind of thing, you know. Was uh, that the one that his, his daughter, and his daughter's name? 
I, I don't think it's in his daughter's name, but he had a friend that recently died. Oh, really? Of of some sort of brain mishap, I guess. Huh. Something went wrong. I don't fully understand it. So but, he's like in the lead right now? Or but yeah, his, yeah, this last challenge that they did, he was the project manager and he earned buku bucks for that. Like more than anybody's mm. earned on the show so far. Vince Neil is killing it right now on that. All right. I'm loving it. Well, that's cool. I watch that show. I cheer for Vince. My money was on Boy George. You know, him and Boy George <laughs> wrote a... They were... One of the things was they had to write a jingle together. Yeah, I saw there was like a teaser for that online a week or so ago. Yeah. Uh, showing that Boy George was complaining about Vince getting drunk in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you've obviously never met Vince Neil before, boy. Right, yeah. And he's, Vince Neil's basically like, yeah, screw that guy. You know, just just because you don't drink doesn't mean you got to push that on everybody else. I like to have a couple of glasses of wine when I'm trying to be creative creative but the jingle they came up with like trident gum mm. were like we'll buy that we'll, it was good we'll use that mm. tomorrow it was pretty neat i'm gonna have to go back and watch it now yeah but vince neal's kicking ass and okay. as far as it goes right now he's still in it i'm cheering for him it's All good right. good stuff representing is there any old motley crew footage or anything on the show i haven't seen nothing like that no. yet no yeah. just just the current stuff what's going on so That's it's funny. it's good stuff you know yeah I, i'm proud of him he's doing really good i have a picture of swords and i go i really like that song looks that kill <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's that, awesome it sounded just like him yeah just i couldn't i thought you were a clone of schwarzenegger there for a second i'm working on that one too all right well before we get into the rock and roll like we always like to do you know and this week is a really special episode and our guest is super awesome before we get into that you know i gotta start this show with a sweet ass five star itunes review and you guys have been on the case lately you really haven't let me down i haven't shed a tear over this in almost a year now yeah let's keep so, that streak going yeah guys. you know keep me sane keep me happy and keep them coming this one's awesome and it's entitled new listener it comes to us from usmc 171 thank you and for your service yes and it goes a little something like this i just found this podcast podcast today and i'm currently on my fourth episode i've heard enough to know i'll be digging way back in the episodes work flew by today for me thanks guys great show so far we'll be definitely looking forward to hearing more tomorrow sweet there you go brand new listener checking it out for the first time leaving us that sweet itunes review it only took them four episodes to figure it out it's yeah. awesome. So yeah, that's a good early adopter. If you haven't figured it out yet, we really like five-star iTunes reviews. And if you could leave us one, we'll love you forever. Yeah, and that's a brand new listener. And, you know, a lot of ways we get brand new listeners are because of our Geeks of the Week. Right. Geeks of the Week oh. are the people that go out the week before. They take last week's episode. Yep. They share the heck out of it all over the Internet. They get the word out for us. They, they're talking to their other hard rock and metal fre- uh, metalhead friends yep. and letting them know about the Decibel Geek podcast. And it grows and it grows and it grows and it's awesome i'm proud of that segue that was the best one i've had that was really good all right so geeks of the week this week are paul corn baco cobras and fire podcast thomas mukaji dave shirt he shared it a couple of times good anthony britt john karabi italia joe royland sit and spin with joe brad calmison wally norton wayne cross robert ross andrew kiss from podcast rock city Mike Grabowski, Rock and Ron Runyon, Cool World, James Brendan Dunn, Dave Koska, Brant Cattell, Warren Money, Kenneth Roy, Mikhail Burrell, Derek Novak, Brian Knapp, Joe Lascon, Kevin Williams, Dan Chapu, Mark Alden Taylor from the Freeform Rock Podcast, Andrew Jacobs, Chad Leesener, Linda Kroll, Ernesto Aguiar, the Off Our Meds Podcast, Graham Spark, 
Christopher Stokes and the Mooger Fuger. Awesome. Those are our people, man. We love them very much. They take the episode, they share it, they retweet it, they help us get the word out. You want to become an honorable geek of the week, all you got to do is take this week's episode, share it with everybody you know. Yep. Go to our Facebook page, find that original post, comment on it, all that good stuff. Share it, share it, share it. That's right. So uh, the setup real fast for what you're about to hear. Ooh, this is going to be awesome, you man. You saw the artwork, you know the title. It's been a long time coming. I've been wanting to do an album's unleashed on all systems go for a while. Um, you guys are going to love this. Bobby Rock was playing in Louisville, Kentucky with Lita Ford, who he's just the drummer for now. Yeah. And um, I've been waiting until he was within driving distance to ask him to do this. Because, I mean, it, Skype and phone calls are cool, but it's even cooler to meet the person in, in person. Right. And the interviews, the conversations always always go better when it's in person i don't care who yeah. you ask and and this is a album's unleashed on the album but it's much more than that it's sure. it's more of a discussion of that era of the vinnie vincent invasion so right because bobby was such a cool guy and it was it's, a real it's hard to, it's hard to stick to a format when you're having so much fun just right. having an open free form free flowing conversation and man bobby rock that guy's the coolest. It's real. It's a fun talk, and uh, you guys are going to learn some new stuff. Even you, diehard Vinny fans, I think are going to learn some new stuff because I learned some a lot of it of new was stuff. definitely new to me. Yeah, really. Yeah. Even you. Even me. Wow, people, we're in for <laughs> something today. All right, this is our talk with Bobby Rock on All Systems Go. All right. That's how you know they're doing their they're job. Doing their job. <laughs> they're not nervous. There's a little uh, postcard for the show if you want to get that. Nice. So, you, uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of us or not. Um, we've done, we've been around for five years, and we kind of consider the podcast for Vinnie Vincent fans. We've done six specials on him. Wow. On his career with different people that have worked with him. We had uh, Mark Slaughter on last year with us. Who was very cool about coming on and talking about that era, and uh, we also do these things called albums unleashed, where we'll take one particular album, get a person who was involved with that album, and sort of break go track by track memories of how it was made, circumstances, all that. Right. Wanted to see if you would be cool with talking about all systems go today. Sure. Okay. Awesome. Um, and I I want to preface this with, if you want the albums unleashed on the first Vinnie Vincent Invasion album, read Bobby's blog. Right. Because the blog you did on that record was incredible. Like Ooh. super detailed. Yes. And a lot of a lot of any fans interact with us. So you got lots of praise for being so open on how that was made. Cool. Cuz it was very very uh, different way of making a record, which I'm, you know, you might the, say that, yeah. at the time at the time you didn't know, but because uh, you were brand new to that whole experience, but uh, I guess in hindsight you're probably like, wow, that was much different than what I've done since then. So, oh, yeah. But um, so yeah, we uh, we wanted to talk about all systems go, and because uh, you've covered the first one so well. And first, thank you for coming on and doing sure. this. A lot of fans are going to be happy to hear from you on this. Yeah, and thanks for the blogs that you did, too. Like Chris said, yeah. you know, very well written. The The story from your perspective on that, all that was very amazing, and it really made for a good read. It did. Right on. Yeah, we Appreciate liked it that. a lot. And um, the, uh, so yeah, we've, and I've been wanting to get you on the show for about five years now, because the goal is eventually, of course, to get every one of you guys on the show, which... We know one will be harder than the others to get. <laughs> but there has yeah, been... Dana Strong's a busy guy. Man. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. true. <laughs> but uh, we've had Mark on, we've had Robert on, and uh, Dana, we want to get Dana too. He's hard to get also. He's not 
big into doing a lot of interviews and stuff. He's got a lot going on in his life. Um, but uh, thank you for doing this. Sure. So, you know, go to the Bobby's blog if you want to hear the details on the first album. So the first album came out, and then you guys toured pretty heavily behind it. Right. Um, it was Alice Cooper you opened for on that that tour mostly. Mostly Alice Cooper, and then we did Iron Maiden. And then Iron also. Maiden. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, before we get into the record, what are your memories of when um, that Boston show where the uh, where Hirsch Gardner put the uh, legal order yeah. out to get your equipment taken? What was the story with that? It was pretty crazy, man. For us, it was throughout the left field. You know, we. Yeah. I want to say we were at like a, one of those Strawberries records. Uh -huh. So we were doing a, a signing in the Boston area that day and we all get back on the bus afterwards and I think our either manager uh, our tour manager came on and said okay well they, you know they got the drums they, he started like talking like we already had a clue of what had already happened yeah uh, they managed to save some of the guitars and we're like what the fuck is going on here you know and, and so that's when we got the lowdown about yeah. what happened at this point it's mid to late afternoon yeah we got to play the set so we go back over to the venue, and sure enough, all of our shit was gone. Oh, wow. And uh, from what I recall, I think he had what was known as something like a, a writ of attachment or yeah. something like that, where anything that had Vinny's name on it, he had Hard ownership legal access yeah. to at least confiscating to settle this claim, you know? Right. And uh, so the, the drum cases, of course, I mean, events, invasion, you know, right. anything else they were able to find, they, they grabbed all that shit. Folklore has it at the, the day of the, the guitar tech told us that as soon as he saw what was going down, mm -hmm. he grabbed Vinny's guitars, brought him in the bathroom into a stall, set him on a toilet, closed the door, and put an out of order sign on that <laughs> stall. Just wow. to save and, and that's that's what supposedly saved Vinny's you know, was that, the custom uh, guitars. Bill Temple? Yes. Yes. Holy I, fuck. I know my stuff, man. And the manager was George Stewart. Right? That's right. Yeah. 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 The tour manager nice. was Todd Cooper. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so. I mean, you know, what do you do? You got to play a show in two hours, or whatever. So we, I remember we got some rental gear. We just threw the shit up there real quick. Wow. We did. We did three songs. We did "Boys Are Gonna Rock," uh, "Animal," and "Twisted." Wow. And and the neck, the review of the show, it, it was at the uh, at the, the cent at the uh, you just said it right, uh, Worcester, Mass. Uh, yeah. Was it the Centrum? Anyway, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah it said Vinny Vincent played a short but intense set. Uh -huh. You know, so it was actually not a, even a bad review. But oh, okay. Wow. So, uh, but you know, it was it was difficult. We had I think only a few more shows left. We had a little break. We had more shows, uh, uh, and so the bottom line is we had a, we had to use rental gear yeah. for you know or, or my drum for company supplied. It was a big pain in the ass well, for weeks. You know. Well, when that went down, what was Vinny saying about Hirsch? Well, like, at he that surely point, had to have been pretty pissed off. Well, about man, it. we were already about to lynch the motherfucker at that because we didn't <laughs> yeah. know his side. We just listened. To it. Like Vinny was was oh man, he, you know, from Vinny's perspective, <clears throat> mm -hmm. it was it was all about yeah. you know he, he was Somebody vilifying Hirsch for what had happened and he had yeah. no claim and all that. So we wound up in a, in a an attorney's office that night until the wee hours. Wow. You know? Oh, Making wild. how we're going to proceed and all that. It was a heavy, heavy thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, so the gear was just, so, we didn't even know it was just somewhere, you know? Uh, so. Wow. It was a it was a tough thing, and that we even started the Iron Maiden tour with all of this other shit. You know, I say renting gear. I mean, my, I just got an endorsement with Sonar, so they were cool enough to provide me with yeah. another kit, but it wasn't you know, my kit. You know? Yeah. And, well, and that yeah. feels like so. 
completely foreign when it's not yeah. what you're used to playing, especially yeah. drummers. Right, right, right. If it's not all the same gear, then you right. you feel like you've lost an appendage or something, I'm sure. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, yeah, we had Hirsch on the show to share that story. So uh, we heard it from his end, but I wanted to hear it from a right, member right. of the band's end. Um, and, by the way, in retrospect, I mean, that, you know, you understand at that moment, all we knew was, one you side. know, Benny's side. It was right. around there. And then as I've, you know, as the years have gone by, I, I understand that, you know, first of all, if he was able to even do that. Yeah. He must have had yeah, some shirts, something. you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and the authorities I, go along with it. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. So I've, I've come to understand that he has he had a valid perspective. I don't know any of the details of it, yeah. but I'm sure. You sure. Know, so. Did you ever talk to him? I never. I don't think I've ever met him. Oh, okay. It's weird. We've always in, inter, we've uh, interviewed a number of Vinnie Vincent drummers. We've had Hirsch, we've had you, yeah. and we've had Andre LaBelle. Oh, right. cool. Who also, yeah. You know Andre. I just saw Andre last week in, in uh, Richmond. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. Super great guy. Good drummer, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so the so that tour ends, and then uh, talk comes to doing another album. Um, had Mike Bone come on with Chrysalis at that point? I don't believe he was on board yet. Not yet? Yeah. Okay. He came a little bit later during the marketing part of him for the release of the record, but not during the recording, I don't think. Okay. That's interesting because there's... And let me just state that this is speculative on, on my part, but I've done a lot of homework. There's certain people that have posted on message boards that some people would lead think that with the knowledge that they put forth that it may be Vinny posing as someone else to explain certain eras from when you guys were together and one of this one of these people would post that basically Mike Bone was brought on board around that time and there was a strong push to limit Vinny's solos and make him not sound as wild and crazy and over the top and to make the album way more radio friendly and this person the way they were posting, it sounded like they had an axe to grind with Mike Bone. So and I'm thinking if, and I'm making a giant leap here, if it was him posting that stuff, I'm getting the feeling there was a lot of contention with Vinny and the the layer label higher-ups when, when that album was being put together. I, I believe so. I mean, uh, if Mike Bone was on board then, I, I don't recall him having the kind of involvement that, for example, really? Jeff Aldridge uh, uh-huh. I think still had because he was the original A and R guy who went for the first record. Yeah, yeah. I want to say he was probably still our guy on board there. Okay. You know the a lot of the feedback that we had all gotten mm-hmm. about the first record was you know kick-ass record, great songs, killer guitar playing, but maybe a little Too over much. the top. Yeah. You know, uh, so I think we all probably. We're, we're hoping to sort of dial it back in a bit. Including Vinny? For the, well, not Vinny, but I'm saying, oh, okay. like, I mean, for, for, just for the sake of the band, just yeah, for the sake right. of what we were, you know, uh, yeah. what we were doing. Yeah. So, and, and I, I remember one time having a really difficult conversation where even right after the conversation, I thought like I was out of line, but what I, I kind of shared with Vinny, what I, what I, you know, what the sort of consensus, what I felt about, you know, mm. the shit being over the top and almost fatiguing to listen to after a while, right. you know. I realized after I said it, I probably wasn't. It's probably I was probably out of line still, but mm-hmm. uh, nonetheless, uh, I thought he played his ass off on the record. I thought uh, I, you know, for the most part, it was cool that where he. I know he was upset is on ashes to ashes. Mm-hmm. They cut the shit out of his they, soul they to make it radio, you know, and, and, yeah. he, and so it was, and, and these edits were so fucking cheesy, man. I mean, it just yeah. it really, you know. Tore the scrotum off of what he really had originally done. I thought, you know, so I understand his point there. But they're they're trying to get it on the radio. Well, and, and and I'm a big fan of his playing. And the and I come from a guitar player back. Not that I could ever play like Vinny, but not that anyone can. But I 
I kind of took his view of it with some of those solos, because there's other releases of All, All Systems Go where you hear the full solos, you know, the, not the radio cutdowns. And from a guitar player's perspective, it's like, okay, I wrote a story with a beginning, a middle, of, and That's an exactly end, right, yeah. and you tore the middle right That's out exactly of the damn right, thing, yeah. Yeah. Exactly which is probably right. where he was coming from. Right, it's right. like, I'm trying to tell a story with this, and you're you're just shortening it down for radio. Right. You know, so the by the way, the the bottom line answer to your question there yeah. is going to be Dana Strum because he was no matter where the heat was coming from, mm-hmm. everything always filtered through Dana because Dana is the one who had to sit next to Vinny and record. All right. So Dana would be the one to try to get out of Vinny, you know, the happy medium between what Vinny wanted and mm-hmm. then what what the suits wanted, you know. So he yeah. would be able to tell you what the what the, what the the tipping point would would have been there. But I, I don't, you know, I don't, I, I think. Honestly, I think in, in, in editing, I mean, I don't think Vinny would have, uh, I don't recall him saying, okay, I hate the way the solo is, but because the record company wants to play that way, that, that wouldn't be his vibe. No. You know, he, he, so, you know, it would be about the mix, it would be about the edits, it would right. be more about the after the fact shit. And Bone could have been involved with some of that stuff. That's what I'm wondering. Know, towards, towards the end there, you know, yeah. uh, and the, in the final phase of mixing and getting yeah. ready to promote and all that, you know. Was George Tutko working on this or was it just the first one that he Tutko was the first one as far as I recall, yeah. yeah. And he just was Rest about the mixing of it, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Great. Drag, man, yeah. Great sound yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, was the recording, and I'm, I have some friends on event events at Fan Forum. There's a big one that actually has a lot of members. Right. And they these people very much obsess over this stuff, so you can help get some of this minutia worked out. Was the recording process for this just as anal as the first one? Hell no. Not by a mile. Okay. Hell no. So it was a lot looser. It was not anywhere near the catastrophe. I mean, I think, it, I want to say three, four days, three, four days. Yeah. Uh, bass and drums we Dana and I recorded together mm-hmm. and then did fix its and all that after each take yeah. uh, it was a whole different world right do you think that's a result of learning the oh, process yeah. in the first one of all that money yeah. that was spent and all the work and all that <laughs> I mean, it was just yeah I'm sure I'm sure it was so you, you were know, being we, asked to replicate <clears throat> drum machines on this no this it, it was it was uh, you know as, as, I, as I mentioned I think the first record you know and for the record, I'll say again, I don't think Vinny had any kind of power trip. I don't think he mm-hmm. was trying to be an ad. I don't think you know there, there was. I don't think it was anything about that. I right. just think he was conflicted between loving the live drummer virtuoso super chops mm-hmm. vibe, yeah, but also loving contemporary music. Yeah, even, you know, fucking Billy a, Ocean and yeah, Michael he was Jackson, a pop man, right? too. Yeah. And that has all machines. Yeah, so you like that groove and that you know the the real uh, polished. And everything was machines back then. Very much. Yeah. And because like, Miami Vice was machines. Yeah, everything, right. everything, TV, everything was machines. That's so, what was so, in so he liked, so I think he was trying to reconcile, okay, well, I want Bobby to go off and do his thing, but then I want that real mechanical thing, you know. So that's that, hard to pull off. Yeah, it's impossible virtually, you know. Yeah. And, and and the Def Leppard thing was brand new then. I mean, it was just, you yeah. know. So, uh, so I think by the time we get to the second record, he realized, okay, we're, we're, it's not going to happen. We got to go more for, uh, you know, keep keep the. I mean, he always liked that real straight up mechanical type of mm-hmm. solid groove, but he he liked some chops in there as we yeah. had on the record. He liked some of the. Uh, he's kind of of two minds making yeah. the record, which makes yeah. your job much harder. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, um, the uh, his solos with well, I talked about that. That was was there more than the three different solos on the album versions? Because there's two alternate Ashes to Ashes solos in that time of year and. That time of year on that Metal Tech instructional video that he did seems to be an entirely different different recording. I don't know if you know any about this stuff. If he was playing on the tracks, he could have just just played winged, winged it on the, yeah. at the moment there. Yeah, which is probably what happened. That's what I'm thinking. Um, 
Now, in the beginning of Ashes to Ashes, there's this Memories of You thing that's played backwards. Right, right. And from what I gather, this was a Japanese band that Dana was recording that wound up getting put on there. Backwards. It was a uh, Japanese guitar hero guy named Kuni. Uh-huh. And I actually played drums on the record. You did? Because Dana was producing it, and the guy he had wasn't working out, so they, they pulled me in the last minute, I had to do the whole record in one day. Oh, wow. shit. And it was a day and a night, believe me. It was like almost a 24-hour session. And then Mike Tirana ended up joining the band, mm -hmm. and they just, you know, it was kind of an agreement. I was like, I was like the ghost drummer, you know, they didn't, right. he's the drummer, they didn't mention I played, I don't think they even credited me on the record, but at any rate, that was this sort of elaborate, you know, introduction piece that Dana had just recorded on the Cooney record. Yeah. And I think they were in the studio fucking around or something, and he ran it backwards, and it was like, Oh wow, let's use this as yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Vinny upset about that? Uh, no, I think he was cool. I think what, if I recall, uh, what Vinny got upset about was when people played it backwards and heard that it was memories of you or whatever, mm -hmm. Dana made up a story, or somebody made up a story, it must have been Dana because Vinny got pissed about it, about how it was... Uh, it was a tribute or a memory of like a fucking relative or something of Vinny's that had passed away, like a niece or a, mm -hmm. I forget, you know, somebody, had, I, I want to say it was a young girl who had died. Really? And so as a tribute to her, you know, memories of you played backwards, da, 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 and you know, rightfully so, yeah. Vinny got a little perturbed about yeah, that. Yeah, I can understand <laughs> you know, like, that. Yeah. Do we have to go there with this thing? You, I mean, know? you, right. can, you can turn it into a legend, but let's <laughs> yeah. not place any curses or anything. Right, yeah, right, I can right, totally true. understand yeah, yeah. that. Okay. Um, so, of course, this was Mark's debut with the band on, on tape or whatever. Right, right. You know, this has been a thing that goes back and forth with, and just from Vinny's mouth alone, with his feelings towards <laughs> Mark. Um at the time, there was the story going around, you know, and Robert's been on our show, and he explained his side of this with, you know, George came to him with this giant contract at the last minute, goes, please sign this. I've already told them you're doing it, and Robert's like, well, I'm not doing it if you're going to be this way, and he leaves, leaving George holding the bag, and then they come up with this story about spending $25,000 on phone calls to get to get this tape that Mark dropped. And it's very dramatic. I just got to tell you, hold on. I just yeah, tell I you, go every ahead. time I would hear that, we like the four of us would be lined up someplace, like on MTV or on some interview or on a radio station, mm -hmm. and Mark and Dana, or uh, rather Vinny and Dana would be bantering back and forth about, you know, the girlfriend who sent the thing with her return yeah. address. And he calls me, we, Mark and I would just cringe every <laughs> fucking time we heard that, man. Anyways, go ahead. No, wow. it's just well. So you know, and it, which at the time you can't blame them for doing it. You got it. You have to do PR and you have to make everything look rosy and, and sure. the band's a family and blah blah blah. We all live in the same house and all that shit. <laughs> Kiss did it too. Oh yeah. But um, they invented it. Probably. And they taught Benny, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, that story went around. But then over the years, then a few years ago, Benny started making posts online and. Saying, you know, I wish we had never done Al uh, Systems Go with, with Mark. It should have been Robert the whole time. I want to get Robert back and re-record the album. And right, right. What, what did he think of, of Mark? I mean, was it a last-ditch effort? We need a singer and this guy fits the bill? Or did he really, you know, back that horse? It, it was both. Yeah. You know, the, the, when Mark uh, jumped on board, the Boys Are Gonna Rock video was the first time that Mark Slaughter performed on a stage with a band as a frontman. 
without his guitar. Yeah, because he was usually yeah. a guitar player. Right. Yeah. That, so when you see that video, that's the first. Now, there was no dress rehearsal. There was no. That was the first time wow. Mark Slaughter, you know, performed. Um, and then, you know, our first show opening for Alice Cooper some weeks later, whenever it was, <coughs> it was you know, mm-hmm. that that was his first time as a frontman. But of course, he had uh, experience as a singer. Mm-hmm. So. The VVI tour and even the the maiden part of, or the uh, Alice tour and even the maiden part of it uh, was rough. I'm sure Mark probably told you. I mean, there was mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, I think Vinny was probably uh, largely unhappy with certain things about Mark's singing, mm-hmm. uh, and would unfortunately share that with him sometimes right before we'd go on stage. That's yeah. not a morale boost. Which, I, which I, I, I remember specifically Baton Rouge or someplace in Louisiana, an arena, we're literally waiting for the lights to go down so we can walk on stage. And, and Vinny, I remember saying something very cutting to him about how he needed to get his shit together and start singing better if he wanted to be on the next record. Oh, wow. Then the lights go out. It's like, what the Good luck. <laughs> Dang. So, oh. and, 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 and that, by the way, speaks to uh, not Vinny being an asshole, per se, but just not having that uh, big picture... That you know, no forethought. Forethought or, yeah. or, or you know, uh, under, the understanding, the, the depth of understanding that, listen... I need to have this conversation after the show. Yeah, so, you don't. So, you know. Right. Yeah. So but then he, again, you know, from from doing these shows about Vinny Vincent, one thing I've always picked up is how many times you think Gene and Paul did that to Vinny right, right oh, at I that moment right. before right. he went right. on right. stage. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He, so, he mimicked what he learned, I'm sure. Probably yeah. so. You know. Yeah. So, uh, but I'll tell you, I remember very specifically, uh, summer of '87. Mark and I were were. Uh, rooming together at the time, uh, having a blast. We were, Vinny was writing the tunes, we were getting everything ready to go, and then what, what happened is Vinny, or Mark would go to Vinny's house to do the demos for yeah. the record. It was cool. Yeah. I don't remember there being any real issue. I thought, you know, we all thought Mark sounded great on the shit. I don't remember Vinny second guessing it. Should we get somebody else? Should we look up Robert? Mm-hmm. It just, I remember it all felt like it came together that summer, you yeah. know, it was nice, it was light and easy and fun yeah and, and mark was uh he felt comfortable as i recall you know recording mm-hmm. they everything was cool went in the studio and, and and i i don't i don't have any memories of like a lot of, of mark necessarily being put through the ringer in an un, mm-hmm. unnecessary way necess- right. you know, per se um, so I, I think at that point you know if, if any now says well i didn't you know maybe he just kind of you know, talked to himself, you know, came to peace with it or, yeah. or whatever then, but I don't recall there ever being a real issue or any other right. discussion about anybody else doing it, you know? Well, I guess anyone, you talk to someone 20, 30 years later, they are going to have different thoughts on stuff. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. You know, Einstein. I certainly don't feel the same way about a lot of stuff I did 30 years ago. <laughs> um, were you getting a lot of different offers from equipment guys? Why, I mean, why, why sonar at the time? Well, um, I was just at the point of starting to talk to a couple different drum companies and, mm-hmm. and you know, see what options were. Back, in the, back then, it was all about you know, who you were with, what was going on, the, about yeah. the record coming out, the potential tour. It was all kind of built on what kind of visibility you could bring to the drum company, obviously. Mm-hmm. I guess that's still that way to this day. So I remember I would, I'd been in talks with uh, Pearl, and that's why there's a Pearl drum kit in the Boys Are Gonna Rock video. You know, we still, we got we were getting friendly with Pearl. I was talking to a couple other. You know, some of the, not every manufacturer was jumping. I think I was looking at Pisces cymbals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just you know, just get, just kind of making the connections. And and uh, Dana was involved. He was helping. You know, uh, and so forth. Um, and then Tommy Lee left Sonar for Pearl. Oh, okay. 
and a big ass hole opened <laughs> up over there at Sonar. Yeah. And Sonar and Sabian cymbals were right. kind of connected. And I I had heard Sabian, I liked him, but I hadn't really played him much, you know. And then all of a sudden, through another friend who made a connection, blah, 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 next thing you know, the, 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 the doors in the Sonar castle opened. And Sonar has always been like, you know, the Rolls Royce of yeah. the drummer, like the most expensive, the biggest, the baddest, the coolest, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Not necessarily the most popular, but you know what I mean. Sure, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, it was just, you know, as... There may be an offer I couldn't refuse, you know, yeah. it was, and it was it was kind of a tied in. They had, like I said, the same distributor, so it was it was Sabian and Sonar, you know, cymbals and drums together. I mean, it was like yeah. Christmas morning up in this motherfucker when they sent all the gear <laughs> to, to SIR for rehearsal, you know. Yeah, it was like and, yeah. and, what a great you know, day, right? And in Pearl, you know, I didn't have a form. You know, we were just still kind of talking, and they were they were like, "I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll provide you with a kit for the video," and and uh, right. and it was just one of those things, man, where you know, I. I it's a business thing. I had to make the move. I'll never forget the, the answer machine message I came home to from the artist relations guy at Pearl. You know, uh -huh. Bobby, what has happened? I'll just, I'll never forget that. <laughs> ringing in my ears 30 years later, you know. Wow. Uh, but that's how that went down. That and yeah, I, I loved it. I mean, the drums are great. Sabian, I'm still on board with Sabian. Yeah. Know, it's been over 30 years now that I've been uh, playing those, playing about right at 30 years, actually. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, were there any additional players on the album? Because uh, Philip Wolf from Impelitary has mentioned that he was on the record. On on the second record? Yeah, on Al Systems Go. Uh, what, what does he do? I just know he's an Impelitary. This is a question from someone else. So, uh, man, I, I I don't recall anybody else. I just, mean, there, there could have been some record. background. There could have been some people coming in to sing, yeah, probably on background fact, vocal yeah. day. Uh, man, I, I honestly don't have any recollection cool. of anybody else but the four of us playing on the shit. Right. You know? So what was the recording environment like? Cause it, so it was, like you said, it wasn't as anal and, and nutty as the first one. I mean, but was everyone getting along pretty well at, the, yeah. at this point? Yeah, yeah it was cool. Uh, you know, drums at Babyo again. Mm -hmm. Drums in the big room downstairs. Uh, uh, I don't think we had as much. I don't think it was as elaborate with all the extra PA and all of that. You know, but it was uh, still, still you know, centerfolds all over the. That was upstairs, yeah. That, 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 that was that was over at Cherokee. So we did drums at Babyo, right, and then I, I believe we wound up. Uh, I know we wound up at Cherokee, but I don't remember how soon we got over there. I don't know if we did. I know we did drums and bass mm -hmm. at Babyo, and, and maybe guitars. But yeah. then again, guitars could have been at Cherokee, but it, everything wound up at Cherokee, basically. Gotcha. You know? um, I want to bring this up because we we've had uh, Rick Fox on the show before. Yeah. Um, you probably know him from the LA scene. Right, right. He was played with Wasp for a little while too. Um, he, he, and I've AB'd this on YouTube, and, and Mark has also been pretty open about it. There was a song that he was, he was in a band called Sin at the time, and around the time this was being tracked. Yeah, Dana produced, right? Yep. Yep. And yep. that's what our, where I'm going. There was a song he did called On the Run, and the riff, basically, if you AB it on YouTube, it's basically Let Freedom Rock. It's, right, it's right. almost identical. Mark basically fessed up to it in, in the interview we did, we did with him. He said he remembered Vinny and Dana coming back from a tracking session going, oh, we found this awesome riff and we're going to turn this into a song. Um, and Rick ended up suing Vinny over it. And, of course, that got wiped out with the bankruptcy right. in 89. 
I just don't know if you remember hearing anything about this when it was brought in. I, you know, I, I remember something about that after the fact. Yeah. And, and I want to say it was... Uh, I want to say maybe we ran into Rick someplace. Like, it was, it was either, like, for the... For the release party of All Systems Go, or right. maybe we were just hanging out at a club and something like that. I, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, uh, running into Rick and him saying, D- D- "Did you know that that song?" And at the time, I didn't. Yeah, I wasn't around. I guess when they told Mark or whatever, I, yeah. I didn't know of the connection of that riff there. Yeah. So I, I heard about it after the fact. Yeah. And at some point, I did hear you heard the original the riff. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's the same. What, riff. Are you, what are you going to say? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. What are you going to say? It, yeah. oh, it's a coincidence, you know that. Uh, Dana produced a band, but Vinny came up with the riff that was, you know, uh, 50 percent of the, you know. Yeah. Well, it happens a lot, you know. Um, one person wanted to know how it's kind of unusual that two ballads made it as music videos from the album rather than any of the like the rocker songs. Um, <clears throat> was that strategic, or I mean, because I always thought there would have been a video for Ashes to Ashes. Right. Yeah. Here's the story. Mm-hmm. Everybody, okay. With both of the records, there was always a huge mega hit that one song was kind of modeled after. So if you go sure. to the first record, No Substitute, yeah. if you play it back to back with Photograph, That's the best. you'll see a lot of similarities in tempo mm-hmm. and the chorus and all those kind of things. Yeah, I think I can hear that. And then uh, between records, Whitesnake comes out, you know, Still of the Night, that kind of vibe, the Zeppelin y thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was the whole impetus behind uh, Ashes to Ashes. Ashes. Yeah. So, man, everything was about to blow up with Ashes to Ashes going to radio. Yeah. Everybody stoked about it. The first single, first video, everything was all set and ready to go. Yeah. And then one day, just weeks out, we walk into the Chrysalis office and our radio promo guy, I mean, it was like there was a death. It was like a fucking morgue at the, at the, la- at the <laughs> label. We're like, what's going on? Oh, you're not going to fucking believe this, man. This, this new band uh, has come up with a song uh, called... Uh, uh, Who's our boy? Let uh, just jumped out of my head. Uh, James Kotak played drums. The, you know the the, the uh, Lenny Wolf Kong. Kingdom Come. Oh, yeah, Kingdom Come. And right. let it. Uh, you know that song. Their their first single. I know what song you're talking yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let it something or other. Or uh, get it on. Get it on. Get it on. Yeah. yeah. Real Zeppelin vibe to it. This yeah. was it. Blew, just blew the fuck up at radio. Uh, and essentially, you felt you know, like you were replaced. That, that was it. They, they they couldn't at that point. It, it was over. That that was the sort of White Snake Zeppelin-y follow up yeah. that radio was so going to play. You're going to feel like wow. a copycat if you do it. Exactly right. Yeah. So at that point, wow. Uh, Ashes wow. to Ashes was just a token. You know, just kind of throw up. throw out, just throw it out there. Token. You know, twelve inch whatever release. Just get it out there. And but we're not going to put a video. We're not going to invest a lot of time and energy because we're not going to be able to get a, the kind of blast out of radio that we thought we were because of Kingdom Come, basically. Damn. So, so then it was like. So then they said, well, what, what's our next like most commercial song to go with? And then there's you know that time of year. Yeah. yeah. And then the main reason for Love Kills was of course the movie connection. Yeah. You know, had the movie not right. come along, I don't know if they would have went that deep, <clears throat> you know that deep on the record. One thing know? I'm good about that with the whole Nightmare on Elm Street thing is the song was like initially pitched to you or you the movie. People pitched it like this would be the song for the movie, and there was a video. But when you watch the movie, it's just playing on a jukebox. Right, right, right. One little right, scene. Right. Yeah. Was there pl- bigger plans for it than that? I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm I guess not that's sure more how a record it, yeah, company yeah. decision. Um, right. The radio guy you mentioned would that be Tom Silver? No, it was a uh, Jeff. Uh, and I, I tell you, I'm I'm a little sleep deprived from the last <laughs> couple of days, so things that I would normally be sharp on, I'm not right now. 
Uh, I thought you remembered everything from 30, 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 Normally I would, I'm telling you. Uh, we Jeff, have, uh, yeah. uh, I forget his name, Jeff, Jeff somebody. We'll, we'll, put okay. yeah, yeah. well we, I interviewed Tom a couple of years ago. Okay, but yeah. yeah, he had good memories working with, well, all of you guys but Vinny. He ended up working with Slaughter after, mm. after the fact, so he, right. was, he was there for all, the whole transition. Right, right. And I, did inter- and I didn't interview Mike Bone, but I messaged with him uh, at the time, because I was like, I had just talked to Tom Silver, and he said a few things that were interesting. And Mike's response essentially was, "Well, look where Slaughter went, and look where Vinny went. And we'll just leave it at that." I was like, okay, <laughs> I was like, I don't need to interview to tell you that. I was right, like, okay. Right. Um, a lot of questions because you know the 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 band ended acrimoniously during the tour for this record, but a lot of questions about. You know, was the was the vibe bad in the studio? It sounds like things up until the road started were, were pretty good. Right. Um, so were there uh, any plans for other tours for the album aside from the ones you guys did do? We were looking at a, a 16-week theater tour with Michael Schenker at one point. Mm. So that was one thing I remember that was on the table. Yeah. But they couldn't make the, the, the dough work. It was going to take too much tour support to cover the shortfall right. of what the tour was going to earn and that kind of thing. Other than that, I, I don't recall there being a lot of options. Right. You know? I just think we, we put it together and at that point, you know, you guys probably, you know, Vinny had walked in with a new manager. So Nigel. Yeah. And so I think it became kind of a money grab at that point. You know, yeah. Our impression was, okay, uh, Let's get as much as we can out of merch. Let's get as much as we can out of the clubs. Mm. Let's pay these guys as, as little as possible. You know, and, and it kind of became the cycle of let's get out and work and, and make a bunch of dough. And, mm. and uh, that was kind of like, I think, his, his MO that, of course, we didn't know at the time, but, you know, how it kind of worked out. Was that different with Nigel's managerial style to George's? Yeah, it was night and day. I mean, it was yeah. night and day. Um, the pattern that we kind of discovered at some point that, that Nigel would do is he'd come into the States and he would, you know, manage a handful of different bands and get all of these deals and all of these advances and I'd commission the fuck out of everything, get a big pile of money. And then at some point, for whatever reason, he would go back to England. He'd kind of bail out, let the, let the smoke, let the dust settle, and then come back in, get a bunch of, you know, do that all over yeah, again. Rape so he, and pillage and then leave town. That, that, that's kind of the impression I got. Now, he's no longer with us, so I don't yeah. want to handle no, yeah, that too much. One of the interesting things after it was decided that, that George wasn't going to be around is that we interviewed a bunch of managers as a band. We'd go sit with them, have dinner with yeah. them, all that. All different guys. Guys I grew up, you know, the, uh, Butch Stone, who did Black of Arkansas. You know, all, all these, you know, we're sitting across from all these guys. It was interesting to kind of see how they handled themselves, what they said they would do for the record. It's like, you know, to be had that vantage point. All right. And I got to tell you, man, everybody, this Nigel uh, Thomas, he, 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 was just, he was the slickest, coolest, calmest, you know, cigarette. And, and, his, and all of his answers were different than everybody else's. Yeah. What he would try to do, you know, like, like uh, there's always this, this thing to get Vinny more, you know, I think Dana was always trying to push Vinny into more of the wild, crazy rock and roll guy, you know, and what can we do? And, and, it, and all the managers would kind of conspire, yeah, we need to get Vinny, da, da, da. And, and that wasn't who Vinny was. You yeah. know, he was married with two kids. Right. He was a, kind of uh, introverted. Yeah, uh, you know. not a, yeah, not yeah, a very so, so he, guy. So, so yeah. Nigel was like, that's ridiculous. Well, you know, uh, he, he needs to be more like a Richie Blackmore type thing. That's he how he can't already see him. That's way there, there he was. He just, yeah. you know, they hustle him in and out secretly, and nobody gets to talk to him or see him. 
And that was a more reasonable strategy based on, you know, so there was all kinds of things like that that he would say yeah. and, and come up with. It's just that at some point, everything kind of shifted and yeah. where we all thought we were jumping into like a one for all, all for one with a new manager. Yeah. It was basically Nigel and Vinny. And then it was the the, the, the cotton pickers, uh, you know, uh, uh, slave and over here, do, you know, with with kind of taking what we could get, kind of thing. Yeah, mm. oh, gosh. So. And, and did that situation kind of lend itself to the separation between the members of the band and Vinny? Oh, I mean, it, it polarized it, but it was it was already polarized. Yeah, uh, that was the thing. Uh, you know, right? Uh, I don't know how much of this is even public at this point uh, re regarding that, but but the shit hit the fan around. The, that time of year video, around that time when we were shooting the video before we hit the road, mm -hmm. where Vinny got wind that there was some sort of behind the scenes conversations happening mm -hmm. with different manager people. Like we would have a, a group meeting with the manager and then Dana might pull to have another meeting with the guy to say, listen, so Vinny has, you know, is a little whacked out here. And, and he wasn't trying to, he was just, you know, he, he was just trying to put all the cards on the table basically. I don't think his intentions were bad, but it, it was, Kind of behind Vinny's back from and Vinny's viewpoint, yeah. Right. Look what they're doing yeah. to me. Yeah. So, the way that Vinny sort of received the info is that his band was sort of conspiring against him and yeah. was even saying, "Look at you know, uh, Chris, you know, we don't, we'll do another record without Vinny," which of course wound up being slaughtered, you know. Right. So as soon as Vinny kind of caught wind of all that, and it was sort of confirmed once we hit the road, mm. uh, then it all shifted. Yeah. And poolside. St. Louis, Missouri, Bobby Rock, and all of his fucking naivete, you know, is the one who had a heart-to-heart -heart with Vinny about that, because Vinny still wasn't sure what happened. Yeah. And I thought, you know, let me just level with the guy and say, listen, man, there was no ill will intended here, but you know, here, these are some of the challenges we had, and these are some of the conversations we had, and all that. Right. I should have never done it. It was a stupid fucking hayseed kid from Houston thinking that I was going to have a heart-to-heart -heart with somebody who would go, you know, we're going to hug, and everything's going to go back to normal. Uh, it wasn't my place to do it. And uh, everything went south yeah. from that day forward. From that day forward, really? it became this thing where instead of all of us having our own rooms, he was always trying to get me and Mark. He was trying to, you know, like everything became how can we save money? How can we do like the whole thing mm. became unbearable. I don't even know if Mark and Dana, if I ever even told them that shit, you know, that, that I, I kind of helped along with I don't know the, if he told us that, but yeah. I mean, he, Mark was pretty forthcoming about. Basically, once you guys got on the road for that record, he's like the band was kind of already over with yeah, by the yeah. time you guys even started touring for yeah, it because yeah. because of the, these talks. Right. He mentioned the Vinny, you know, feeling that people were talking behind his back, and Tom Silver confirmed it too. He's yeah, like, because yeah. the Crystals people were like at their wits' end with some of his behavior, and like right, you know, right. it's way easier to work with the rest of these guys than it is with him. So we're gonna we're gonna back Mark Slaughter and make him the fourth the the focus right and early on in the tour when we got a first cut we were playing in San Francisco early on and, and they sent us a, a, a VHS tape to watch on the bus of yeah. that time of year yeah Mark told us about that this. had Mark over there and that yeah. was that was an uncomfortable moment yeah to watch all watch that video together and, and for Vinny to see how much he was edited out and Mark was in oh, and the byline feature, yeah, featuring yeah, yeah. Mark Slaughter yeah, yeah. so oh, that's you right. know, that all kind of that you know probably set the was tone. A nail in the coffin right yeah there. yeah that all kind of set the tone as well all those things so would did. he just have outbursts at you guys you know, he, he, you know, or did he just separate himself? Separated himself. You know, he, he, you know, everybody always said, you know, Vinny Vincent's an asshole. You know, actually, he, I don't think I've ever heard the guy raise his voice even. You know, he, yeah. he, he wasn't that kind of, you know, yeah. and 
And, you know, also in his defense, everything he did, there was a reason behind, like, you know, the, the hell I went through doing the first record, there was a reason. He wasn't just, you know, and, and the way he was on that second tour, as unjust as it was and all the shit that we went through and how fucked up the vibe was and all that, it was because he felt a certain way. Yeah, he, I mean, it sounds like he was coming from a hurt place. Right, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So it wasn't like he's just this erratic, you know, uh, yeah. nutcase who was, you know... I don't so, think so. Yeah, yeah. So, so in his defense, you know, now, look, was there a better way to handle it? Could we have said, you know, sure, but that's just kind of the way it, it unfolded. Well, it's you also know. the music industry was not known for having a, a ton of level-headedness going on, <laughs> especially in the 1980s. Right, I mean, right, right. It was a crazy time. It's like the Wild West. For sure. Especially yeah. you're out on the road. That's not a normal lifestyle. Right. So right. everything gets microscopically looked at and yeah, overthought. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was a... It had to have been a very difficult tour to it was to deal it was almost that. unbearable it, in fact the fact that he separated himself that's what made it work because sometimes we wouldn't see Vinny all day until literally moments like we'd get to the we all go we travel back and forth to the hotel and the venue separate a lot of times yeah we'd get there we'd hear him warming up yeah. minutes before we hit the stage Vinny would come out with his guitar on cordial hey what's up guys hey what's up you know just cordial we'd get on stage do our thing mm -hmm. afterwards you know, if we wanted to hang out, you know, the bus was leaving at yeah, 15 minutes after the set with Vinny to the hotel. If we wanted to go, cool. If not, we could find our own way back. Yeah. So there were a lot of times we would find our own, you know, we'd be mingling and, you know, it was, it was the 80s. We wanted to hang out. <laughs> and uh, so we'd, we'd have to find our own way back to the hotel a lot of times, you know, yeah. but that was kind of the way it was. And uh, it was just kind of an understanding. Yeah. Yep, this yep. is how it's going to happen if, if we want to keep this show on the road. That's right. Wow. You did, did you, didn't you guys do some touring with LA Guns on that tour? Early on, yeah, the first handful of shows. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if they thought it was a co-headlining thing. Our impression was that we were headlining because they were always opening. Mm -hmm. But there was a dispute over the the drums, the, the drum riser, use of the drum riser. And it's, you know, tradition that the headliner sets up, sound checks, and the drums stay put. Sure. And who's ever opening has to set their shit up in front. Mm -hmm. It's just the way it is. Yeah. So after the first few shows, when they, and sometimes you could, you know, you could roll another riser if there's the venue, but a lot of these venues were, were uh, smaller where we didn't have we didn't have the ability to do that. Yeah. So I think they really wanted us to strike the drums, put their shit up there. But then you have the issue where you know now you're taking an extra on between set. You got to completely put this new the you know headliners kit back up there, mic everything. You know it's, it's not really yeah. practical. Right. So we the, the, our crews kind of became you know the two different crews road crews became at odds over this thing and. I don't know, after the third or fourth show or something like that, man, they, they were suddenly just gone. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it just, you know, we, we couldn't move. I hated that, uh, that, that it kind of came to that. I was always cool with Riley through the years. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, man, we just did a show in England with them, with Lita, uh -huh. and we were at a venue, and, and it, it, was, it was a similar situation. Lita was headlining, <laughs> they were playing there, and, I, and I, going into the day, I told the tour manager, I go, you know what? Let the motherfucker just play my drums, you know. Uh, I, I told him, you know, something happened thirty years ago. <laughs> you know, just let the motherfucker play That's my kid. Awesome. You know? And he and did. He did. Yeah. And this That's tech cool. was there, and and uh, so and you know, and usually when you do that, you know, you'll adjust a couple things sure. and go, okay, this is not, you know, it's better that I can just play the headliner's kit a little uncomfortably than set up my own thing in front or whatever like that. But mm. they 
they made themselves comfortable. They, you know, put pulled shit out of the kick drum and readjusted cymbals oh. and all that, you know. But it was good. <laughs> His tech was really cool about putting everything back. They were super oh, cool. Gosh. And I've been always cool with, with Steve through the years as Didn't well. Did he get you know, a good so laugh out of that? I don't know if he even remembered. Oh, we, okay. we didn't talk. I just wanted to make oh. it a point just to just for the principle. It's a great you know, way. Right? Writing a rock cool. Yeah, you know what, man? Just, just let, cool. let him play the shit. And, and, say, and we've awesome. always been cool. He's a really, really cool guy, as you guys probably know. So right. um, On the album, were there any outtakes or good tunes that didn't make the album that you remember? Nope. I don't recall any outtakes, and I do recall that "Dirty Rhythm" was a afterthought. That yeah. was that was the one that was kind of pulled in as like a little jam thing, you know, that we just put together almost on the spot. I mean, it was Benny's riff and all that as usual, right. uh, but that was. So instead of having things that we now maybe there's a couple of things that we never heard that Benny wrote, you right? Know, but whatever he brought to us that Mark demoed went on the record. So. Wow. Um, that leads me into let's just do the track by track real quick. Right. Um, Ashes to Ashes, which we already talked about pretty heavily here. Right, right. Um, do you remember the first time you heard the riff for that? And yeah, I man. mean that that I the demo, man. I'm bummed that it wasn't pushed as a single. Even I understand the justification for why not, but damn, what a song! I mean, I know, that man. that one of the best riffs that Vinny in his whole career, in my opinion, ever wrote. demo vocal on it man it was like you know it's a powerful song yeah, it's badass yeah and I love that it has that Zeppelin vibe because mm -hmm. you weren't getting a lot of that at that time in music right. no and hearing Vinny do it you know in his guitar style and his tone on a song like that that really made it special and I think it sucks that 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 get it on, you know, with its Zeppelin-y vibe screwed all that up because it was such a strong song, man. It could have changed the whole trajectory of everything. That's exactly right. And, and you know, and who knows? I mean, obviously, they threw it out there. Yeah. They did throw it out there. Uh, but who knows if they would have really got behind it and did a video and all that. It, 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 would, it, would it have been outright, outright rejected because of Kingdom Come? We'll never know. Mm -hmm. But that was what they said. Up, mm -hmm. up. Oh, oh, there's already one out there. There's already a kind of a copycat Zeppelin thing. We can't go there. So it's unfortunate. That's that is, yeah. damn record company thinking. That's <laughs> yeah, stupid. You know, it's like, oh, we can't have more than one song at the same time <laughs> yeah. that's got the same kind of sort of vibe. I mean, that makes no sense. Um, so you mentioned Dirty Rhythm being an afterthought. So that came in very late to the album. I mean, at the studio, as I recall. Yeah. You know, and we just kind of we kind of jammed around. We were fucking around with it, and it just became this thing. You know. Yeah.
it's cool that it, to hear that story with that because that's another really great song that you know by just listening to it and knowing it you wouldn't think that that song was an afterthought so right, we right. came together right so yeah. most of this was written pre pre-production oh yeah yeah, yeah. Vinny he went off he has his own way you know a lot of times he'll use an acoustic guitar yeah for this stuff yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, very song oriented so he you know did all the writing put all the tunes together and, and you know Dana Dana he, he has a lot of influence I mean there's a lot of things that uh, you know he'll do to, to alter little things about the riffs or, or suggest for arrangements and all mm-hmm. that he, he's, he has more to do with it than yeah one might think well and it, that that's an interesting thing to talk about because you know Vinny is considered like this kind of power mad guy and never like a mad scientist and everything and who's gonna he's not gonna listen to anybody but it seems like Dana had quite a bit of influence over you know, production decisions on this stuff. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, Vinny would, you know, if he felt really strong about something, he always had the last yeah. word. But And even for the solos and all that, I mean, uh, you know, as I mentioned on that, on the blog about the first record, it was yeah. just there was those two guys in a room mm-hmm. and, you know, you know how they would punch on the two-inch tape, yeah. you, know, you know, punch in, punch out. I mean, mm-hmm. Dana was really skilled at that, man. Yeah. He could get into the, in and out quickly. And, and so basically whatever Vinny heard in his head, that punch me right there between those two little, you know, right. <laughs> and he could get in and out of this. So that 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 I think influenced ultimately, you know, what Vinny would play to some yeah. degree. You know, he he had he had no limitations basically. Well, sure, when you have somebody with that skill at your disposal, I yeah. mean, you the creation ability is unlimited. Yeah, yeah. Especially when you got the skills in your fingers and your brain as <laughs> Vinny Vincent does. Well, I think what uh, Robert had told us, he you know, he was talking about the first album, of course, but about just the way that. Vinny would make records at the time. And, you know, it's like it's basically the the equivalent of an artist with a blank canvas and thirty cans of paint just throwing the paint at the canvas. <laughs> yeah. He's like, that's the way those records were made. That's you pretty know? accurate. Let's just go as insane as we can with this stuff. Oh yeah, I hear that a lot more on the first one than the second. Yeah, I do the too. The first one's one, a little more contained. Right. The right, first right. one's kind of reckless almost on right. you know on certain things, but which is what I love about it because it's just it's been like the end of Animal. I mean. Oh my God! You know, yeah. especially where you know he goes into that extended outro solo, yeah. and then yeah. you all come back. Yeah. yeah, not that we're talking about the first album. But, <laughs> um, then "Love Kills," which is you know commercially one of the better songs of that era. I mean, and I know it got relegated to a movie soundtrack thing, but uh, of course that was a franchise you happy to be latched right, to at that right. time because yeah. it was as big as it ever. That's got. exactly right. Yeah. And that was the big springboard for that song because it wasn't just about radio, just trying to get on radio. I mean, that was a big vehicle for it, you know? Yeah, and rock bands and uh, horror movies were very right. synonymous. In I remember days. thinking how cool that was. Here's this band I really, really like, and it's involved in this movie th- franchise yep. that I also really enjoy right. at that time. That was very cool. I remember MTV doing a special on the movie. Yeah. And, uh, Vinny's wearing Freddie's no, sweater right, right. and his hat yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah, that was the first time I remember ever seeing Vinny Vincent on TV, actually. Was when that MTV special mm-hmm. came out. And Boy, I saw were you shocked the that. next time you saw him, huh? Pink hair and everything. Oh, yeah. Dressed yeah. like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> um, but Love Kills, uh, the uh, solo on that song, just incredible. Yeah.
Well, you and you, you know, you come from a drummer's perspective, but I mean, you've played around a lot of guitar players. So, you know, where does he rank for you as far as you know what you would watch when he would play back in those days? I mean, he's he's one of the baddest there is. Yeah. I mean, you just can't compare him to everybody to anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't sound like anybody else. I don't think anybody can mimic what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that way, he's extremely unique, you know. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know the that this, the deal with, with some of his the chicken picking. Yeah, yeah. And how he would so he have his picking yeah. finger, but then he have these other two fingers yeah. doing the shit in there. And it's nuts. We always would whenever we rehearse uh, for a tour or for any time for that matter. He and I would always wind up in the room first, uh-huh. and we would just he would just have me do some kind of crazy double bass thing, and he would just wail. Yeah. And as long as I could keep that shit up, <laughs> he was happy to just sit there and wail. You know? <laughs> He'd go forever. So I have a lot of memory, and we you know play off of each other, and and just just hearing him do that shit, man, it was really mind boggling. Right. You know? Yeah, and all, oh, well, so. and then Love Kills is one of the more controlled solos that right, he did. Right, 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 right. And Mark shared with us that you know he would call it his Boston solo. Right, 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 yeah. right. Yeah. It's very similar to what Tom Schultz would have played for Boston. Which I, you know, until Mark said that, I was like, I never would have guessed that. Right. But when you think about it, it totally sounds like yeah. something Boston would have done at the time. And one thing I, I think I've probably written about, but it's that, that people really should know. I mean, I know that for whatever reason, when you got in the headspace of the invasion thing, it was all that just, you know, yeah. Blitzkrieg shit. That, that's yeah. what you really love to do. Mm-hmm. And the whammy bar stuff was big back then and all that. But it was just always the over the top, over yeah. the top. But man, he, he could he could play anything, anything. man. He, he just, he had no, like in his mind, he, I guess he didn't see how like a, a bluesier Jeff Beck type, you mm-hmm. know, some of that shit he could do. And of course the country stuff, I mean, he could, you know, he could do jazz, choral stuff. Yeah, he, he had could an do unlimited it all. Vocal. He, he, could, he would do this thing also where he could make it, he, the guitar was like a clavinet. Yeah. Like doing those funk, you know, yeah. keyboard. Uh, yeah, what? Because he played with Edgar Winter for a while. You know, yeah. so he could do, you know, so he could, like, he was really a great musician. We always say was, like the guy's dead. You know what I mean? So bizarre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah. uh, So, to your point, uh, that was one of the solos where I think he, you know, and that's so full of shit. I mean, it's a a, a killer solo. Yeah, it's emotion. I mean, where you're used to him just blistering your ears with his solos. I mean, that's... It's it's got a groove to it. It's yeah. it's slowed way down. It's it's a beautiful piece of music, yeah. you know, yeah, playing yeah. on a guitar. It really is. And I've heard stories about when you guys toured with Maiden, like the Maiden guys would would hang out in his dressing room and just listen to him play old Jeff Beck stuff. Right, right. And they were just like, "Why aren't you playing that <laughs> yeah. stuff?" What would he say? Because it's too easy. <laughs> He'd say because it's easy to play. Because <laughs> <laughs> I could play faster than that. So, right, right, right. But back those seems like a blessing and a curse. You know, to be right, like right. that, where you got the skills to be able to do it, but the curse to not be able to stop. Right, know? right. <laughs> well, and then Naughty Naughty is next, and. Uh, were you guys upset that uh, Danger Danger had a big hit with a song of the same title? Uh, I don't remember us being too upset. I, I, don't even, <laughs> I don't even recall which one came out first. It, yours came out first. Did I'm, it, I'm yeah. just busting balls. Uh, yeah, that's right, huh? Yeah. Yeah. That was their big first single. Right, I remember that. Yeah, I'm sure we probably and then they had, had a few bang, jokes bang, about it. And they yeah. All kinds of songs. Cherry, cherry. They're Danger Danger. danger, you know? danger. What are you going to do?
and uh, Burn is a, is a pretty awesome rock yeah, song. Talk about blistering guitar on that one. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, with this album. You know, the a lot of times you get a guy who's a guitar virtuoso, you know, say like an Ingbe Malmsteen or something, where it's like a guitar solo with a song kind of structured around it. This album's different than that because the, the guitar playing, is as blistering as some of this stuff is, it still really fits the song. And the drumming on this whole album, holy shit, you know, the drum sound and the power, you, you don't expect it out of a band like this and an album like this where the guitar is so powerful and up front. so good man i told you bobby rock was the coolest before we get back into that conversation with him and we're having so much fun already i want to let you guys know of course there's more cool stuff over there just waiting for you at hk collectibles inc this week it includes a ticket to kiss's appearance in lakeland florida on the creatures of the night tour that's historic right yeah, there Vinnie vincent really historic show yes Vinnie vincent ticket price nine dollars and 75 cents I, that that sounds about worth it to me to see the tank stage. Good Lord, yeah. Awesome. Also over at HK Collectibles, Inc., you can get a ticket from Kiss's Hot in the Shade Tour with Slaughter opening in Pittsburgh. All that and a ton more. Just head on over to decibelgeek.com, click on that HK Collectibles, Inc. banner, and do your shopping. Do it today. Now, when you're at decibelgeek.com, you're going to find our Amazon banner right below it. And, you know, what that means is it's a great way for you to help out the show. You do your shopping on Amazon anyway, I'm sure. So what's it take? An extra couple of seconds to go on over to decibelgeek.com, click on our banner, and what it does is takes you to Amazon. You do all your shopping just like you normally would, except what happens when you're all done? Amazon takes a cut of their side of it. Not your money, because you're not paying anything extra, but what they do is they take a piece of that that's theirs, and they give it over to us because we sent you through our link to go do your shopping. Simple, easy. I don't think I need to say too much more about it than that. No. Uh, except. Yeah, the one more thing the list yeah we get the list every single week that tells us what's been bought through our decibel geek amazon link doesn't say who bought what no we're okay with that we just want to know what you bought and it's very cool 
a lot of cool stuff. What do we got this time? Yeah, you guys have been cool about buying stuff through the link. Some of the notable purchases this week include a Canon ink cartridge set, which, you know, that, that seems kind of ho-hum, but those are not cheap. We just talked about that. Throw away the printer and or when you run out of yeah. ink and just go buy a new printer. Yeah. No, nobody spent the big bucks through our link <laughs> to actually buy the cartridges. Also, uh, some gamer stuff. Nintendo selects Nintendo Dogs and Cats, Golden Retriever, and New Friends for the Nintendo 3DS. Sounds cool. I don't know what it is, but okay. it sounds cool. And then this is cool, a Dragon's Lair game download. Do you remember Dragon's Lair? Shoot, yeah, I do. It was like a video game that was also a cartoon, right? Yeah, it was one of the most realistic-looking video games at the time in the 80s. And one of the uh, hardest games to play, Really too. hard. Yeah. Um, but this is like a version of it you can download to play on your computer, and it's like high-definition video and everything. Really? Yeah. Mm. I might have to check that out yeah, myself. Yeah, me too. That sounds awesome. Uh, in DVDs, Rolling Stones from the Vault LA Forum in 1975 was bought. Right on. I wish Kiss would do that. They Rolling Stones do these from the vault things. They just release live concerts. You yeah, know, off they're on in the, high on their, quality. Yeah, high in high def or high highest quality you can get for the old stuff. There should definitely be a Kiss from the I vault. Would buy so much of that stuff. Oh no, kidding. Um, and then in music, a band called Pain of Salvation in the Passing Light of Day was bought. Hmm. I don't know who that is, uh, but they've been around for a long time apparently. American Bombshell No Regrets was bought. That was a I've heard of some good things about that. Had a good review on our website. Yeah. I'll check into that. Also, Neil Morse, The Similitude of a Dream. Okay. And Suicidal Tendencies, The Art of Rebellion. Ha <laughs> I told you Suicidal Tendencies was awesome. That album is, yeah. Yeah, that sure is. <laughs> that's one of my all-time favorites right there, The like Art of that Rebellion. One. That's a fantastic album. Yep. Well, okay. I guess before we yeah. get back into our conversation with Bobby Rock... You, you, you tell me you got something you really need to get off your chest. Well, all right. Well, I know some of you guys listening are real, real big Vinny fans and know this album inside and out. I find it humorous that you have to break this down <laughs> and explain it because you are looking at this from their perspective I, completely. Well, because well, I'm in their camp. But, right. All right. You're of their ilk. Understand that when we talked to Bobby... <laughs> We were. T I was tired, and also it was a thing where I, you've got. I've got notes in front of me and all, but at the same time, you want to have a good conversation and not be looking down at your notes all the time. Right. So, some things got omitted that I should have brought up about the album. See, this is where I get to skate free because nobody expects me to remember right. all that stuff. But when it comes to Vinnie Vincent, poor well, Chris, and I poor was Chris, I was real absent-minded this day. So. We haven't gotten to it yet, but the song Ecstasy did not get mentioned in the track-by-track track discussion. Right, because with this, I think the uh, the conversation... kind of went all over like, the place. Yeah, a little bit all over the place, maybe not concentrated track-by-track track as much as we usually do. It's more of that era than the track-by-track. Yeah. Track. And then... But this, we do do it. And then I dropped the ball on this, because the track listing I did, for some reason, the track listing I had in my notes was like the vinyl track listing. Like the original. The original track out, listing. Yeah. And I had forgotten to mention the Meltdown, Bobby Rock instrumental, and right. uh, you know I'm pretty shot the uh, Vinny instrumental at the end of those are on the CD versions. Look at you getting all bent out of shape and about know, not covering the bonus tracks off those, the Japanese CD. Well, <laughs> no, those are on the regular one, but it bug it bums the hell out of me that I forgot to. So I apologize to you, Vinny fans, but there's still a lot of cool stuff that's about to be revealed through the through the episode. You have so much heart for Vinny Vincent, I do. It just, and for Bobby Rock because I felt bad because. Like one of the things was his drum solo, and I forgot to right, mention. Right, yeah. Um, so, and I've been in contact with Bobby by text and uh, up until this evening, and he's real busy right now, but he's going to get me his thoughts either through text or through uh, email, and I will update you guys next week on the show. I wonder what he must think. He's probably like, this guy's a complete <laughs> nut. Who cares? 
<laughs> Who cares about the bonus tracks? Just get to the episode. But I know you guys do. That's why I'm talking about it. All right, then. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's get back to it. Albums Unleashed, All Systems Go with Bobby Rock on the Decibel Geek Podcast. found a way to totally just own this album. My father-in-law is a drummer and he was telling me, you know, really listen to that second Vinnie Vincent Invasion album and nobody pays attention to the drums but you really can't not pay attention to the drums even with everything else going on in it. And the drums on this album, I just gotta say, you know, yeah, Vinnie Vincent plays guitar on it but this is really truly at its core an awesome drum album. Cool, appreciate that. Well, it didn't seem like he was wanting to minimize the other guys in the band. It seemed like he wanted oh. everyone to be completely shining on the Even own. on the first record, that yeah. was a big yeah. thing. Uh, you know, he was always about, you know, more, more, faster, faster, louder, louder. You know, I mean, he liked, he liked those real big, showy, you know, flamboyant, mm-hmm. chopsy fills. Yeah. Uh, with the, you know, when you're grooving, it's got to sound real mechanical, but then you can do all the crazy, you know, yeah. uh, fills on it. So <laughs> he, he, he liked all that, man. Yeah. And we all, live, I'd always get a drum solo spot. I mean, he was really, really right big on all that, you know? Yeah. I mean, it goes to show when he goes through all that effort of the craziness he put you through to record them drums, obviously he cares. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, Let Freedom Rock, we talked a little bit about yeah, the yeah. origin of it, but... That's a great song, and yeah, the yeah. drum parts on that are, are pretty impressive. Yeah, too. pretty cool. Yeah. And did that one go over pretty well live when you guys would play that one? Uh, yeah, that was a, that was a, that was you know made for the arena, you know. Yeah, that, that yeah. Tune, for sure. You know, I like that song a lot. Um, that time of year, uh, maybe my favorite song on the record. Cause, cool. And I know it's a ballady tune, but you know, there's hair metal ballads that were much bigger than this, but I think it eclipses most of them because uh, it's just a really well written song all the way around did, was it, did Vinny write that song all on his own? I'm pretty sure yeah yeah
incredible song. I mean, for a ballad of that time, you know, to, to really be something, it's got to be emotional and it's got to strike a chord in you. And around this time, a lot of them ballads just seemed like they were cookie cutter. Kind of but, token, yeah. yeah right. Like, like our yeah, third yeah, video. Or, yeah. Right, right. Like you had to have it. But, you know, that song there, man, it's got some heavy, heavy emotion. Just its song so, yeah. drips with it. Yeah. Totally does. And uh, really beautiful girl in the video, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, well, the video for that song is uh, pretty interesting to see because you guys... Definitely toned down your look for for that video. You know, you got much more. Was that a was that intentional? Or, of course, yeah, of course. yeah. It, it's all you know. It was all intentional. <laughs> you know, back then it, you're just chasing trends. I mean, yeah. when, the, when the thing was put together, you know, the the, the poison Molly Crew glam thing was what was happening. Yeah. So that was like that was the impetus for let's do that. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere between the first and second record, Guns and Roses came out, so we became more street, you know, denim, more that kind yeah. of vibe. Right. So everybody you know backed it down a little bit you know yeah and that's all that was it was just looking around what everybody else was doing and trying, trying to, to follow suit a little bit trying sure. to you know, do that thing did you, you enjoy that look bands. more than the first album um or did you like the glammy stuff you, that you guys did on the first one the, the glam it was just so outrageous yeah. you know i it's that's probably more fun and, and we would you know like we'd go to the mall wearing that shit <laughs> <laughs> We'd be in fucking Nebraska or something, just, you know, with those long earrings and shit. It was what you did. You, you didn't think, right? you know, yeah. how do we not get fist fights every time we went out I, in public? You know, but you, you just didn't. It was just, it was, uh, you know. Everybody's standing there going, wow. <laughs> yeah. I've seen, like, some people's personal photographs from, like, meet and greets. You guys would do at record stores at malls. Yeah. And I'm like, God, they look like men from Mars or something. It's just I mean, so different. makeup, fucking yeah. the shit on the cheeks. I yeah. mean, everything, man. It was just. Is what you, you didn't think twice about it, you know. Spent a lot of time in a mirror back then. We did, man. Yeah. Man. And then, uh, what do you remember about recording Heavy Petting? Um, I, I remember Dana having me simplify a particular subtle part of that. That's the main thing that jumps out when he said yeah. that. And, and he, you know, he was, you know, Vinny would be in the room, but I would, Dana would be in my ears, and, and, and we'd, we'd you know, navigate through the tracks that way, you know. Yeah. That tune uh, has a nice pocket to it, yeah. and I just remember I was trying to do something that had more notes that I needed. He goes, "Hey, just it'll sound meaner." That's what he said. It'll sound meaner if you just do kick, snare, and then hit the cymbal, that kind of thing. Right. And he was right. You know, okay. So. <laughs> right on. And uh, deeper and deeper. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the track by track thing. I I, I remember I have a little Pieces, flashbacks yeah. about certain things like that. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, that 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 one there has this really really. Uh, 
a moment where both of us were bidding. I really go off like, before the last chorus. Yeah. It's really killer uh, double bass type thing when he does like this whammy bar uh, lift, you know. Mm -hmm. Breakout, which is a, a great ender, but certainly not on as crazy of a note as the uh, first, the first oh, no. album ending. The twisted or no invasion? Oh, invasion yeah. with that. You've got the thing, alarm right? going off for like five I minutes. I know, I know, man. I know we're not talking about that record, but what was that? What was that about? Who knows? <laughs> and you know that thing. Uh, wasn't that thing on the record? Hey, tell your friends about. You know what that vibe was all about? I think Mark told us about it, but I can't. It was supposed to be backwards. Oh, it was. The whole idea of doing it was to have it played backwards. Uh -huh. So it's like, ah, whatever's going to sound like. And then when people would figure out, you know, hey, tell your friends, oh, oh, clever. Yeah. But they just right. put it on there like, what <laughs> the fuck is this? Oh, so they didn't get the memo, huh? Tell your friends. Yeah, it's like, how the fuck does this, how, how does, how is communication, <laughs> where did that get botched in the process there, you know? It's like, y'all ruined it. It's funny, I didn't yeah. think about that, but yeah. That's... After all that shit, too. Yeah. After all that, the novelty of doing, having that shit spin out or whatever for however many minutes that was. Right. Know? Oh, jeez. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember who, who was saying, hey, tell your friends about it? George Seward. Oh, it was George. And, and, and he recorded it like, uh, <laughs> if you listen very carefully, you'll hear some like backer. Like he was like at a, uh, like a Circuit City or one of these, uh, you know. The, electronic like, store. Yeah, 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 electronic store. And, and it was like some kind of like a digital record. Like, like he literally went into the place and, you know, and like did it on the on the fly. Yeah. Like, I don't know what he used. It was a, I don't know what the, 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 it was a cassette or what it was. Right. But he actually just went out and, and ghettoed together, you know, just this quick little, hey, <laughs> and then set the thing. And it, it was just the most ridiculous thing ever, man, you know. That was his idea. Somebody's, yeah, I don't know if yeah. it was. It know, sounds like when marketing works. goes wrong. <laughs> that now he's. Have you talked to him? It's been a while. Uh, he's, I just, I'd love. Kind of, yeah. I would love to interview him, but and I've tried. I've talked to him once on Twitter, and he was just like, "Thanks for offering, but I don't talk about those days." Right, so, right, right, right. He seems to be happy not being involved at all anymore. Right, right. But he's got quite a story to tell, I'm sure. You know. Oh yeah. Because he was with Kiss before you guys, yeah, and he managed Ace, and he managed Peter. Yeah. So yeah, as a Kiss fan, I would love to to pick his brain. For oh yeah, but uh, did you enjoy having him as a manager? Yeah, I always like George. You yeah. know, it, it's you know when things don't turn out the way everybody wanted. Like everybody thought that it was the first record to go platinum. You know, that right. was the expectation. You know, and and when things don't go the way that you wanted them to. The, the buck has to stop with somebody. It, it, it can never be about, well, look, it, this, this is this is how much of an audience we were able to accumulate on it. This is how many sales they were organically. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. It was because somewhere along the way, somebody didn't do something. Right. So what is it? Management, 
label, you know, the publicity, like somewhere along the way, somebody's got to take the heat, you know, right. so I think because George was always East Coast based, he was always kind of, uh, he, he was, he wasn't always in the middle of the, of the day-to-day thing, he right. was always, you know, back East on the other end of the phone kind of yeah. thing. Now, he was working the label back in New York, that was a big thing, but we were really signed out of LA, Yeah. so I think there was, uh, there was often issues about, well, mm-hmm management should have done X, Y, and Z, or why, how come our manager isn't doing this, or how come right. our manager is Now, he would have his own story. Well, I tried that, we did this, you know, so mm-hmm. that's the the subjective nature of the retrospective view yeah. on why something fucked up or didn't go like you wanted it to, to, you know right. what I mean? gotcha, okay. Somebody's head's gotta be on that. <laughs> right. Except for the band, right. the band. We're, yeah, you we, need we, the we, band. We, 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 but we made the perfect record, so it's right. always somebody else's. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you need the band, you can't fire the label. That's right. <laughs> Although you know it, you know, and this this is re- repeating one of those mystery posters on message boards who like to always claim it was the fastest selling debut right, album right, on, right. on Chrysalis Records. Does that sound familiar to you? Oh yeah, that was a big buzzword. That yeah. was a big thing. Uh, and you know, uh, there's probably some stats to support that. Oh, sure. Maybe one week it was you know yeah. it outsold a Pat Benatar or Jethro Tull or whatever. It was. Yeah. I'm sure you know. It broke out of the gates fast. Right. Right. The, yeah, it just didn't quite peak from there but right. but uh i mean when you look back at uh, at that era and then of course you know the everything starts falling apart with the the tour and everything but you know when you guys finished the album how confident were you in it at the time i mean did you think this is going to be this is, a double platinum yeah there, there was a big there was a big at the, at the record release thing internally jeff aldridge uh-huh. who was the guy that originally signed Vinny, stands up and does this big toast Two million. We're gonna do yeah. two million. That that was that was just what we, you know, at least a mil, but probably two. That was the expectation yeah. going in. You know. Wow. Hmm. Well, that was at the listening party. <laughs> well, no, that that was a, that was a private thing. It was yeah. like a, maybe where we played the record for all the yeah. like internally, like all the Crystal suits showed right. up to listen. You know, like here it is, everybody, that kind of thing. You know. Do you think Chrysalis pushed you guys the, the right way, or do you think they didn't push you enough? Um, well. This is where you get into the subjective nature of it. They they would always say that you know there there were issues that were, where radio didn't want to play it, radio didn't see a big enough song. Radio they, they would have their thing about it. Uh, I think it's probably fair to say that you know Chrysalis wasn't at that time the best hard rock label. You know mm-hmm. that that wasn't necessarily their forte. Right. Uh, but the shit shifted between All Systems Go and. Uh, the first slaughter record, mm-hmm. everything shifted over there. Yeah, you know, and I don't know if it was because the the existing folks got more on board with slaughter, or maybe there were a few personnel changes to push it. Yeah, the, you know, or maybe because that was so radio friendly that it was more in their wheelhouse. I'm not sure exactly, right. but I just remember I remember talking to Mark right around the release time of, of their of their first record and him saying like man you, you wouldn't believe it. it's like the label's like night and day from when it was with Vinny we walk in over there everybody's cool everybody's yeah. a whole the vibe is different the effort is different everything they're doing is you know it was like a whole different label right by the time Stick It To You you know came around and they know? they tried to keep you as a drummer didn't they I, that was the plan I was just it was just assumed it was I was supposed to stay on board with, with Mark and Dana to do it you know uh-huh. and you know after the fucking PTSD, you know, experience of, of, you know, getting through the tour and all that. I mean, I think, you know, the way, the way most of the tour went down is there were, there were three camps in a sense. There, there was Vinny, 
there was Mark and Dana, and I was kind of like neutral. I was kind of like on the fence. Yeah. I mean, even towards the end of the tour, there was talk of me staying with Vinny, possibly, really? to do his next record, getting another bass player and all that, yeah. you know? And, uh, well, you and must have felt pulled in both directions. I, I did. And so that's why I just kind of did this, I'm you know? And, yeah. and then when we got off the road, I remember I just, I said, I, I go, I just need to take a few days off. I went to Santa Barbara, you know, north of LA, and just, just kicked it for a few days by the water. And, and, and I just felt like at that time, I just needed to kind of separate myself, you know. I mean, I, I didn't have any real issues. I mean, the, the Vinny thing was, was where most of the conflict was coming from. Sure. Mark and Dana were cool. We were always cool. I just felt like, you know, man, I just need to jump out and just do something different, basically. Yeah, and that, that was that was That's what I felt like at the time, you know. Are you, are you still happy with that decision? Um, or do you wish you had stuck with those two, those other guys? You know, that's a, that's a philosophical question. I, I think if I were to answer it, uh, strictly from a, a business perspective, mm -hmm. a career perspective, I would have been better off staying with Mark mm -hmm. and Dana. You know, mm -hmm. knowing now, knowing then what I know now, and you know, all things considered, right. I think that was more. You know, what what they wound up doing was more in the trajectory of, of where my fan base was. Yeah, musically, I think the Nelson thing. There, there, there's arguments you can make about you know against mm -hmm. doing that or whatever. I was very successful too. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, and with with the with the slaughter thing, it would have been quite frankly a, a much better and smarter business decision because I would have been an equity member. Uh, uh, you know. Yeah, that's true. The, the 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 band guys there made a lot more than the band guys in Nelson. I'll just leave it at that. You know. Yeah. So it, it would have. Uh, so from that perspective, but if you're asking me if I could go back in time and make a different decision, the answer is no. Yeah. Because because right. again, philosophically, you know, if you know, if. One little change like that, like do I do I take you know do I go this way or that way? I mean, it, each each one leads to a whole different sure. life experience, people you meet. Mm -hmm. You know, like we wouldn't be sitting here talking right now. Like, like everything would you know? Yeah. Everything that happens after is somehow related to you know. Yeah, it changes it all. It changes everything, and mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to you know if, if a leprechaun said, "Okay, listen, you can go back <laughs> right now," and I go, you know, but now you know my my iPhone would have a whole different bunch of names in it. Sure. Yeah. And I wouldn't right. want to you know True. that that's the, that's we have to tra that's the trade off. You go. Yeah. Mess up the timeline, yes. man. Yeah, like, exactly. Don't mess up exactly. the timeline. Don't mess so, up the, yeah. And I would, and, and the Nelson. I mean, we that, that was a there was a lot of great things about that, and, the, and, and those guys and that experience. That it was, was a, a solid was, gig for a long time. Yeah, it was yeah. a different vibe, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I would, you know, it, it, it was different enough to where I, I don't know any other gig like that that, yeah. that had some of the rock elements, but then had that kind of boy band crazy girls oh, running down the, the hallway of the hotel every night and all that shit. I mean, there was, <laughs> there was something a little more fanatical about that. Oh, really? That I wouldn't want to miss out on, quite frankly. Sure. You know, the life experience, you know, that yeah. combining, you know, so... Uh, well, and like, then, you know, yeah, like you said, also, I think it's a, it was a mental health break you probably needed yeah, yeah, after all right. that. Uh, there's no question. Yeah. So I can't second guess that either, you know. Because I got to think even Mark and Dana were probably burned they were after, fried after, yeah after that everybody tour. everybody was fried we walked away from that thing man you know yeah i just hate that it had to end on such a sour note i, tell I guess most it, bands do that's just tell the way me it about is. it yeah, yeah yeah because you guys i mean for two records you guys were really awesome you know i just i hate that there wasn't more out of that right you know? right and did you ever cross paths with Vinny after that uh a couple phone conversations yeah the last time i talked to Vinny was probably late 1992 wow it's been a while that was it man uh, that was it and just no no other contact beyond that this is amazing yeah. but, uh, 
Because, I, yeah, I just, well, and was there talk at the time of bringing you back in to play? Or nah, I mean, it was just it, a was chit just, chat. It, it yeah. was, you know, it, it was something that was, it was thrown around. I talked to Nigel about it. It was just, it was something that we, you know, it, it, it was mentioned somewhere along the way, you know, yeah. like as a possibility. Uh, Vinny was looking at other bass players and, and all that. Meanwhile, Mark and Dan, I was talking to, you know, so I was kind of really in the middle. But as we got, like the last couple weeks of the thing, it went south so fast that it. I'm sure on both sides it was off the table. Like I, I would I, at that point, I was not even considering it, and they probably weren't either. You know, yeah. just the, the way the money and the way all of the shit happened, and the, yeah. you know, it it, uh, it 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 got bad in a hurry. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the last week, I mean, it was it was just torturous, ugly. man. Yeah, yeah. Mm. See, and then you go on to play with Nelson, but I always have kind of wondered, you know, with you being such a powerful drummer and your style. Would you ever picture yourself being in a, like a thrash metal band? Nah, the, the thrash thing never was my vibe. I mean, that, that's yeah. a, that's a that's a different kind of thing. I respect that style and that drumming and all that with all the double bass shit and all yeah, that. You yeah. know, but I, I'm more of a of a heavy pocket. Right. Now, I like to do the, the crazy shit too, but I like mm-hmm. you know more more of the even like with, with what we do with Lita. You know, nowadays mm-hmm. just that, that that pocket playing, heavy groove and all that. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we saw you, you know. in Soundcheck, man. The drum set back there is probably still bitching. <laughs> <laughs> He's laying it in. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so well, let's bring it up to today. You're now playing with Lita Four. How long have you been yeah. playing with her? Four years now. Four years. Yeah, right on. It's been a pretty fun gig for you. It's been great, man. Yeah, yeah. we have a good time. Yeah. And she's got a hell of a catalog to. Uh, she to really does. Yeah, man. Uh, she's a fucking icon, man. I mean, it, it, sure. it's, a, it's a great gig. Uh, she's a really good player. It's a, it's a killer band. Uh, we, we have a good time. You know, it's a, it's a good good setup, right? A good situation right now. This Drummer's year, pretty good. Sorry? Drummer's pretty good. Drummer, he, he does okay. He holds his own, cool. you know? <laughs> right on. Um, Very cool. Well, I want to thank you for doing this, and uh, it's it's been a, a real honor to sit there and talk to you and get your memories on sure, an man, album yeah. you made so many years ago. But, right uh, I mean, have you got to go back and listen to either of the albums? Oh, much? yeah. Yeah. I still, I got them on my... Uh, my Spotify. Yeah. I have my uh, the vinyl and all that shit, of course, all the records. But uh, yeah. yeah, I'll still, I, I, I mean, to me, it always gets down to the songs. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, I, I, you can listen to the, the, the chops and the great playing and all that. And I, I love Vinny's playing, man. Yeah. You know, on the first record, you know, you put on the, the headphones, yeah. you crank that shit up, you know. Like I said, it's, it's my go-to record if you just really want to get your head taken off That's with some cool. over-the-top guitar playing yeah. and, and cool arena riffs and all that. That it is. But the songs, man, still, on both yeah. of those records, still really hold up. And that's, they do. And, they and do. over time, that's that, that always tells the story, you know. Yeah. It's always about the songs. And that motherfucker could write some songs. Yeah, and and I'll, to this day, I'll be at the gym sometimes, and I'll, I'll you know, hey, I'll check out, let me check out the first record, check out all systems, you know. It, yeah. It's still fun to listen listen to you know that's cool if the planets aligned and Vinnie Vincent and Mark and Dana were able to put it all aside and do it would you be interested in reuniting with Vinnie Vincent yeah I I would you know the only X factor is just you know just to kind of know you know frankly where his head is at these days you know is he he still interested in playing is he still you know I I could probably figure it out in in two or three minutes of just talking with him you know But uh, the answer is yes, man. Why not? You know, it'd be awesome. I know a lot of people would love yeah, to see yeah, it. Yeah, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's it's an ambitious thought. I mean, it, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, to to kind of pull everybody together to do it or whatever. Right. But yeah, if, the, if, you, if you say if the if the planets aligned, yeah, man, I'd be, be up for it. It'd be fun. You know, that'd be cool. Oh man, that'd be all cool. right. Well, if you're listening, he's available. So. <laughs> okay, so thanks for doing this. Man. You got it, man. Thank all you guys. Right. Awesome. Very cool.
92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.